Heavenly Father, once again, we have the privilege of standing before you in prayer. Lord, knowing that you are attentive to our requests. Lord, we ask that you would take this service that we have dedicated to your worship and that you would work in each heart here present. We ask that we would surrender what needs to be surrendered, that we would ask you to build what needs to be built in our lives. Lord, that you would make us obedient to your word. We ask that you would bless each one of us that we may be your servants this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brother Fry. Luke chapter 19, we'll get there in just a few moments. I'm sorry, let me get my glasses on. Luke chapter 10 uh, is where we're going to start this morning. And uh, if you have the bulletin, uh, it says, With what is God concerned? And, and uh, that would be the title for the message this morning. Uh, there's an awful lot. Uh, that is going on in our world today to be concerned about. And um, I don't know if we have any here that listen to talk radio or not, but there's a station here in the city, and they just come up with all these headlines, and they say, this is happening, and this is happening, and then they end it, we need to talk. And um, I'd just like to ask you, when was the last time talking about something ever did anything? Uh, it normally doesn't accomplish much, does it? Well, I feel better about it. Uh, but the Bible's not just about talking. It's about doing. Amen? And I just want us to see if we can't narrow down our, our thoughts today because there's an awful lot going on, even in religious circles, uh, and we just get crowded in. Uh, I'm a little tired of the call for cultural relevance. Uh, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, that means where we need to change what goes on in church so that we can better relate to society as a whole. And uh, uh, usually what that means is we get rid of the piano, or we might have a piano, but uh, more likely a keyboard there, and and uh, certainly the organ is out, the drum set is in, a nice bass guitar, and, and uh, big speakers to uh, kind of just make us feel a little bit more like a nightclub. In fact, there are several churches that have actually went into bars and rented the bars out on Sunday morning so that they could be culturally relevant. And uh, I, I just want to challenge you today that there are some rewards for being culturally relevant. People don't say so many bad things about you. But, you know, history is cruel to those who choose the route of cultural relativism, if you like big words. It, history does not look kindly on those that have just rolled along with the flow. Uh, did a lot of driving uh, this week, uh, and I really appreciate all the prayers of those that prayed as I went to central Pennsylvania uh, to be with my mother and uh, preach the funeral of my uncle. He passed away last Sunday morning, and uh, I believe I was able to be a blessing to the family and and uh, we've still got a lot of decisions to make uh, as far as my mother is concerned. So I'd appreciate if you keep us in prayer 
Uh, it's a big old farmhouse. And one of my kids said, now, Dad, where is the middle of nowhere? Uh, I said, well, that's real easy. I said, you go somewhere and you take a left turn and you just go out until you don't see anybody anymore. And that is the middle of nowhere. Uh, the closest stoplight is about 15 miles away from where my mom lives. Uh, it is in the middle of the mountains in Pennsylvania. And uh, so just pray for her. Big old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere and just one uh, little old lady to take care of it. Uh, we've got to do some things. Yes, your grandmother is a little old lady, all right? But she can still whoop me if she needs to. And uh, because she's mama, amen? And so I'd appreciate your prayers for all of those things, but I heard a fellow talking about the intellectual pundits of ages gone by. It was an absolutely fascinating thing to listen. He said, the intelligentsia has always been wrong about everything. I said, boy, that just makes so much sense. The foolishness, the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. And then he went on to give the illustration. Do you know that before World War II in the late 30s, if you've studied your history at all, every great thinker in every European country said, what we need to do is we need to appease this man in Germany, Adolf Hitler, and we need to make peace with him, and, and, and he'll go away, and he'll stop these things. And you look at me and say, that's crazy. That madman is responsible for the deaths. And people make a lot of the number, and it ought to be. Nearly six million Jews were exterminated in the Nazi concentration camps. But they don't tell you nearly 20 million Russians were exterminated as the Nazi stormtroopers moved toward Moscow. There were over a hundred million deaths connected to World War II. And those that gave the cry of cultural relativism said, all we need to do is talk and this problem will go away. Could I challenge you to listen to what is happening today? What do they tell us? If we could just talk, this problem will go away. Well, let me tell you something. They were wrong in 1935. They're wrong in 2010. And they'll be wrong if Jesus doesn't come back till 3010 because the intelligence of man is always at odds with the Word of God. We do not need to be culturally relevant. What we need is to be obedient to the Scriptures. The greatest concern of many this morning as we get up is not who God is and my relationship to Him. It's the fact 
that those blankety-blank Republicans in Massachusetts have derailed health care. And that is going on in many minds. And yes, I've heard the curse words on the radio. Uh, Wish wish you could get one of those little V-chips for the radio that would delete all the cursing. The only problem is you'd never understand what anybody said. Uh, And yet, that's what's going on in our day and our time. We have people who believe that if they do not step up and take care of the environment, that the whole world's going to disappear. Do you know why they do that? For nearly 6,000 years of human history, who has been the keeper of the universe? God. Why do you think the eco-Nazis want to make such a big deal about keeping the environment? They want God's job. They believe that they are God. And that's where it's going to take you. It doesn't matter that all the emails surfaced showing that global warming is a fabricated hoax of the scientific society. People still believe in it. Can I challenge you today that we are concerned over things that mean nothing? And we have no concern at all today over things that are of the utmost importance. And this is what human nature does. And what we need to do this morning is just stop for a few moments. Tune out the cries of the world and ask God to speak to us so that we can be concerned about what God is concerned about. Instead of what everyone else is concerned about. If you believe that today, would you just join me in saying amen? Amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. If you're right there, we'll just go down here to verse 38. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. And we're just going to look at a couple of illustrations of this this morning. I, I want us to look at the things that God is concerned about. Verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, it says, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not. Be take, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus said, listen, there is one thing that is needful. That one thing that was needful was what Mary was doing. She heard his word. I'm not here today 
to give you my opinions and my words. I want to give you Jesus' words. Jesus' words are much more important than anything else that is going on. We hear his words and we pay less attention to them than we do to most of what is going on around us. If you're not careful, you'll be more concerned over what's going on in Washington, D.C. and in the politics than you are over what Jesus has said. Now, let's just take a a short moment and review some of the things that Jesus has said in his word. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, Pastor, that's divisive. Yes. Jesus didn't come to tell you you're right because you're not. He came to tell you you're wrong. And if you'll realize that you're wrong and come to Jesus, he'll make things right. It's the only place you can go. If you want life, You've got to come to Jesus Christ. The funeral message I preached at my uncle's graveside was simply this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Even though we stood at the valley of the shadow of death and buried the remains of my uncle there in, in central Pennsylvania, he professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ many years ago. The light was not shut off when he died. In fact, the only comfort that you can have at the funeral of a loved one is the fact that they knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let your family know you are saved the Bible way. The most difficult thing for me to do as a preacher is I talk to a family, someone in their family has passed away and Ultimately, we've got to get to this question. Did your loved one know the Lord is their Savior? I don't know. Boy, that's a tough one. I I can't see into the heart of man. I have no way of knowing. God lets us... Uh, I, and I've I've told people this on occasion. I said, well... Sometimes it's best not to know. We can just trust that with the Lord and let him take care of it. But there's always that nagging doubt down in your soul. Were they or were they not? Let your family know that you've trusted in the way, the truth, and the life. And if you haven't, would you put your faith in trust? These are the words of Jesus. This is what it means to hear his words. He said, one thing is necessary. He said, Mary's chosen that necessary thing. She is hearing my words. And people often say, but but pastor, uh, the Bible's not going to help me at work. Excuse me. The Bible is the only solution for the problems when you go to work. Could we have an amen out of people who know that's true? The Bible is the only answer for facing the uncertainties of the future. 
The Bible is the only answer for what is going to happen tomorrow that we have no way of preparing ourselves for. The Bible says, seek ye first. What? The kingdom of God. Now, don't leave out the next phrase. And his what? Righteousness. Those two phrases, if you will seek first the kingdom of God, and while you're seeking the kingdom of God, you must seek his righteousness. Those two are equal phrases. They are what we call a positive. They're the same thing. You cannot seek God's righteousness without seeking His kingdom, and you cannot seek His kingdom without seeking His righteousness. Because you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God unless His righteousness abides in your life. That is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. If you will seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what's it say? All these things shall be added unto you. God will take care of your finances if you will seek Him first and His righteousness. One thing is needful. If you were as concerned about understanding the words of this book and what Jesus said as you are about understanding stock futures... Your life would be different, would it not? If you were as interested in understanding what God has said for you to do and how to live today, as you are, fill in the blank. I mean, there are people that have hobbies, and they're more interested in their hobby than they are in the Word of God. That's a frightful place to be. But the Bible said, in the last days there shall come scoffers walking after their own lusts. They're going to be lovers of pleasure. Does that not describe our culture today? That's why we do not want to be culturally relevant. We do not want to help you seek your pleasure. We want to help you seek God. And that's going to mean some things have to change in the way you live. But that's a good thing. I love to put it this way, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. God loves you so much, He will only save you just as you are. But His love is so great, He's not going to let you stay that way. Amen? That's what it means to hear the words of the Lord. That was the one needful thing. And he said, listen, that's not going to be taken away. I promise you, if you'll pray and say, God, I want to understand your word and live it, God's going to hear and answer that prayer. And that's what Open Door Bible Baptist Church is all about, is hearing, understanding, and giving you the encouragement to actually put into shoe leather the words of God that He gave to us that are printed in your Bible. We want our religion to be real. We want it to be as real and as honest 
and as biblical as it can possibly be. Guess what's going to happen as we try to endeavor to fulfill that goal in our lives? We're going to make mistakes, aren't we? But we just obey the word and we go back to the Savior and we confess our sins. Again, those are his words. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and let us move forward again. And all God's people said, the one thing that is needful, we need to hear the words of Jesus. Let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and verse 9. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's interesting here that Jesus, as he was talking to Martha in the passage we just read, he said, Martha, you're careful about many things, but you're not careful, you're not concerned with the thing I'm concerned with. Be concerned with what I'm concerned with. Be concerned with hearing the Word of God. And Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, as he is explaining what our Christianity ought to be and how we ought to live, he says in verse 9, After this manner, therefore... What are the next two words? Read them out loud. Pray ye. If you're going to hear the word of God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to pray. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. And then comes what some people have termed the Our Father. And that is not really correct. What we want to do is we want to look at the prayer here. And we're going to do very briefly the prayer that is recorded here is a template or a pattern to teach us how to pray. It's just as if I gave you directions. You called on the phone and said, uh, I'd like to come to your service. And I said, okay, how are you going to be coming? Public transportation? Are you going to be driving? Well, I'm going to be taking public transportation. Well, then you got two basic choices. You got uh, the uh, NW line and you got the RV line on Steinway Street. You can get off at Broadway or 30th Avenue. You can walk to the church, but that's how you're going to get here. Now, you can sit at home from now till Jesus comes and repeat those directions every day. It won't get you one step closer to the church, will it? You've got to live the directions in order to get here. Jesus wants you to pray. He doesn't want you to repeat what's in the Bible. He wants you to live it. Our Father which art in heaven. Is he your father? I'll tell you how he can be your father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Our Father, which art in heaven, he's not the old man upstairs, let me tell you that. He's not just a a, a fuddy-duddy God that sits there and looks at people and says, Oh, that's a bad thing. Uh, Someone has coined this lie about a generation ago. Oh, we're all God's children. No, we're not. You have to be born into his family to be his child. We've got a little experience of that in the Montoro family. Uh, someone said, where are all your children? And I said, well, there's one there, one there, one there. one." Are they all yours? No, they're not all mine. There's lots of other children here. 
Uh, but there's a, a pretty good group of them that are mine. You say, how do you know which ones are yours? Well, real easy. They were born into the family. Uh, and those are the ones I have to take care of. I'll tell you what. I, I want to help every young person I meet. I, I want to be a blessing to the children. I love little children. And when they say, can I have a drink of water? I'll take them right back to the water fountain. When they say, I want to go to college, I say, go see your mom. Because <laughs> that one wasn't born into my family. You'll have to take care of that one, amen? And when we talk to God, we expect Him to answer our prayers as if He were our Father. If He's not your Father, He's not under obligation. Let me tell you, He's a good God, and He just might answer your prayer anyway. But that doesn't prove you're His child. You've got to have a relationship with Him. You must be born into His family. When that happens, you better learn how to pray. Amen? What kind of relationship would you have with your earthly father or mother if you never talked to them? Or if the only time you talked to them was when you were in a jam and, Hey, I need money! What was the thing they coined up? Remember this was, I was in Bible college no, no fun, no mun, your son. And the dad wrote back, too bad, so sad, your dad. <laughs> Listen, God wants a relationship. And a relationship means there's going to be some back and forth. You know what? You're not going to see everything the way God sees everything. Did you see everything the way your parents saw everything? Mm-mm. As you get older, we've been over this ground many times. When you're a little child, about four or five years old, guess who the smartest people in the world are? Mom and dad. You get about 12 or 14, mom and dad aren't quite as smart as they were. They're getting a little older. About the time you turn 15 or 16, there is nobody in the world dumber than mom or dad. Some of you lived this, haven't you? About the time you turn 21 and start having to pay all your own bills, mom and dad start getting just a little bit smarter. Once you have a set of your own brats and have to, I mean children and have to take care of them, you find out that that old man and woman were the smartest people that ever lived. Now, isn't that true? Now, let me tell you, same thing's going to happen when we get to heaven. You're not always going to see things the way God sees things, but could I just challenge you? He probably knows better than we do. Could you trust him when it doesn't make sense to you? That's one of the things prayer is all about. God doesn't need to be changed. You do. Learn how to pray. So God can get you out of the way and do what he wanted to do in the first place. 
You say, but wait a minute, I've heard all these stories about these great prayers, these people that could pray and move mountains, and that's the problem, my friends. Great prayer doesn't exalt the person who prays. Great prayer exalts the God who answers. That's in the Word of God, my friend. Jesus told us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 9, in verse 38, if you turn just a few pages there, if you're still in Matthew. Chapter 9, in verse 38, and let's read verse 37. It says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let me tell you, the answer for the problems of the world that we have today is for people to get saved and accept the love of Jesus Christ. You can't hate someone else and love Jesus Christ at the same time. You want to solve the racial divides? Get people saved. Amen? You want to solve the war problems? Get people saved. How are you going to do that? It says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into his field. How many of you are serious about praying that God will do something through missions? That's what it's talking about there. That's why we have a prayer meeting every Thursday night for our ladies. They get together and they pray for our missionaries. You ought to pray in earnest in your private prayers that God will put people into the harvest field. Many of you have gotten saved right here at this church. It's not your prayers that brought our family here to start this church. It was the prayers of many other preachers in different places, people that never even have seen you. It was their prayers and their sacrifice that allowed our church to exist. We need to get serious about praying that God will use what he's given us to send the word to others that haven't heard. Amen? There's one other thing that Jesus said to pray for. Let's go to Matthew 24. This is a little more complicated, but I think you'll get the message. And if you have any questions, uh, talk to me after the service, and and we'll try to, to deal with that. But Jesus was explaining unto his disciples in Matthew 24, the end times and the fulfillment of all things, and that there was going to come a time of great tribulation. And here in verse 20, Jesus says, But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, verse 21, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, people get all twisted around. If you are saved, let me promise you, you're not going to be here when these things happen. But Jesus said, I want you to pray about the timing of God's judgment. God's judgment must come. 
The tribulation period is a period of seven years where God's judgment is going to be poured out upon this earth. Our best understanding of the scriptures is about three-quarters of the world's population is going to die in less than seven years. Could you imagine the problem of trying to bury four and a half billion souls in less than seven years? It's unbelievable. That's what's going to happen when God's judgment falls. Now, let's go back. There's only one way to be ready. Hear the word of the Lord get saved. Amen. But he tells us to pray. He tells us to pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath day. I believe that God is asking us to pray that he would give us a little longer to win a few more souls. And that's not going to change God's plan. But it's certainly going to change our heart and our attitude and our part in it. Amen. This is what God wants us to do. We've got to be concerned over lost souls. If Jesus were to come today, those that have heard the gospel and rejected it will believe the lie. That's what the Bible teaches. The Antichrist will be so close to the real Christ that you will not be able to discern the difference except for the fact of the Holy Spirit of God living within you. If he's not there, you will believe the lie. If Ahmadinejad can be looking for the last imam who's going to set all things in right and bring peace on the earth, if that confused, bizarre little man can be so wrapped up in a prophecy that Muhammad actually transcribed from the Bible, you better watch out. Everybody's going to believe in this man that has rejected the truth of the Scriptures. The Bible says, pray about the timing of the judgment of God. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. How many of you have some possession or something that you're very careful with? A nice coat, a new suit, a beautiful dress, a piece of china, some knick-knack or heirloom that has been given to you over the years. How many of you have something that you're careful about? I mean, you just don't want to, that thing to break. It would, be, it would be a tragedy in your life to lose that thing. And so you're very careful about it. Now, here's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, be careful... For nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let me tell you, we are more careful about things that mean nothing than we are about what means the most. The Bible says, don't worry. That's what the word careful means. 
if you have a special little thing, my wife and I were given on our wedding day uh, a set of cups, and it's lead crystal, and it's got the, a little bit of our Montoro family history. Uh, there's supposed to be a copy of the Montoro family crest, and and I'm sitting here going, my granddad was a poor man, lived in a cave. I don't think he had. I think somebody made this up. But anyway, my grandfather was a poor, poor man till he came to America in 1905 as a 17-year-old boy. But those cups are special to us. We're careful with them. We don't let the kids touch them, even when they get older. But if we were to lose one of those things, it would not change my life in any serious way. I want to be careful about the things that will. My obedience to God's word. You know, we have a little saying that we were all, many of us were taught as children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. How many of you have heard of that? It's one of the great lies of history. Because your bones will heal. But those emotional scars go deep sometimes now, don't they? We need to pray that we won't be wrapped up so much with the things of this world that we're not praying for our children. Amen? Somebody once told me, well, you don't understand, Pastor. i got to give my children the things they need. There's only one thing your children need. That's parents. That's what they need. And if you're here and you grew up without parents because of tragedy in your family, you'll say, oh, I wish I had them. You never get over that. But I'll tell you what, you can break the bondage of this world by being careful about the things that God wants you to be careful about. Pray. Bring those things before God in prayer. I don't believe that health care is dead yet. Keep praying. Don't worry about it. Pray. Amen? Don't worry about what's going on in Haiti. Pray. And by the way, if anybody wants to give to the relief of those people that are suffering down there, we have at least one missionary that we support already in Haiti. He's been there all his life. And you can give right through the church. And we'll send it outside the Red Cross outside all the relief organizations, and it will go every penny right to that missionary. He's just about an hour outside of Port-au-Prince, Brother Paul Harrington. He's been there. He's a Haitian, grew up there in the home of an American missionary, and he is a great preacher of the gospel. I'll tell you what, if I want to do something for Haiti, I'm first going to pray, and I'm going to send something to Brother Harrigan. Amen. Here's what it says, and let's go to the book of Titus, and we'll be done this morning. 
Don't get your coats on yet. We're not finished. But, I mean, this is the last point. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. Here's something the Bible says to be careful about. This is what God is concerned with. This is a faithful saying. Verse 8 of, of Titus chapter 3. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. You see, how do I be careful to maintain good works? You see, most religious people are doing good works so that they can be good enough to go to heaven. That's not biblical. You go to heaven because you know the way, you know the truth, you know the life, you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you'll look in Titus chapter 2, just back a few verses in verse 10 of Titus chapter 2, it says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now, the exact context there is he's, in verse 9, exhorting servants. What Titus is doing is he is receiving instruction from the Apostle Paul how Christians ought to live. How many times have you heard someone say, I would be a Christian except for, and they named some, but they were a Christian and they lived a horrible life and I'm sick of hypocrites. One of the first things I ask someone, it gives me one of those statements is, excuse me, are there no hypocrites where you work? Is there nobody where you work that just shows up for a paycheck? <laughs> Doesn't care a thing about the country. Well, I don't care anything about my... Well, then you're a hypocrite if you don't care about your company, are you not? Shouldn't you be there and work hard to make things happen so that your company can go forward? Isn't that part of being a good worker? Let me tell you, life is full of hypocrites. Don't allow yourself to be someone else's excuse to go to hell. That's what this passage is talking about. That's why a Christian must be careful to maintain good works. That's why I don't smoke cigarettes. It's not because they'll give you cancer and they'll destroy your lungs and, and they're dirty and all of these other things. And, and that all is true. But I don't smoke because... It's not a good testimony to my Savior. I don't go to movie theaters. Never have. I've never been in a movie theater to watch a movie. You know why? Because you look on the sign there and you see R, NR17, PG13, uh, and G. And, of course, if I walked out of one of those movie theaters, everyone here would believe that I had went to see the G movie, even though it was Bambi, and I hate Bambi. <laughs> you see, the simple truth of the matter is, people would use that as an excuse to watch the next Kill 'Em, Spill 'Em, whatever kind of movie there is, 
When pastor goes to the movies, I'll go too. Listen, be careful to maintain good works. Because it adorns the gospel or the doctrine of God. We do not make God look good when we lose our tempers. How many of you lost your temper this week? Okay, we got to be careful to maintain good works. How many of you wasted time being concerned over something of zero importance and spent zero time being concerned about what God's concerned with? That's why we have an altar call in just a few minutes. To confess those things to God and ask God to help us be concerned with the things that God cares about. The number one thing he cares about is your soul. In order for your soul to enjoy God's care, number one, you've got to be saved. Number two, you have to pray. Number three, you've got to live what you pray. And by the way, that's where the church comes in. This is the place where you ought to be encouraged to not listen to the cry of cultural relativism. Where you ought to be encouraged not to be just another face in the line of people that show up on your corner in this massive city. It is time to be concerned with what God is concerned about and live for God wherever He has placed us. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning and we ask that it would not just be words that we've heard, But, Lord, it would be words that we would endeavor by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit of God to live this coming week. Lord, I pray that we would be concerned that it would be needful to us, as it is to you, to hear and understand the words of your book. That we would read this book called the Bible, that we would be in the services here at our church that we would ask you to change the way that we live, that it may match up to your word. Lord, I ask that prayer would not just be the response when something goes wrong, but that we would earnestly have communication and fellowship with our Father which is in heaven. That we would pray about the needs of those that live in this world and do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be concerned with the timing of your judgment. You tell us to pray for this. And Lord, that we would be careful to maintain good works. And that we would not be careful with the things of this life. We would pray and let you carry that burden. We ask that you would use this time to change the way that we live. So that as the world looks at our lives, they may see an adorning, a dressing, a beautifying of the doctrine of God. We ask you to work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.